Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So our theme as we explored Nehemiah over the past several weeks has been return, right? And it's such a hopeful story. The people have come back to God. Nehemiah has built his wall. They're reading scripture again. So Nehemiah goes away for a little bit. And then we get to chapter 13. And he comes back to find out that it has all fallen apart. Like big womp womp. People are living in the sacred precincts of the temple. The priests are gone. People are working on the Sabbath. And I wonder... To Nehemiah, did it feel like starting over? Did it feel like all his hard work had been for nothing? Poor Nehemiah. Kind of embarrassing, right? But what I want to say to you today is this. Don't be discouraged when things fall apart and you have to start over. Because this is a normal, and I would say even useful, part of our relationship with God. I think this is a reminder of who we are in Christ. We are a people who falter and fail but a people who return as well. And we are constantly renewed by his grace and his love. And if we want to see revival, if we want to see a refreshing of our relationship with God, I think we need to accept these falterings, but then also make space for a revival in our lives. We need to welcome it. We can't force it to happen, but we need to create margins for it in our lives. We have to remember people fail and revival is a lifelong process. American Christians talk about revival a lot, right? It's a, it's a word that we love to, to throw around and to pray for. So I thought maybe it would be helpful if I just defined it before I went any further. Revival is a return to God. It's a refreshing of our relationship with him. Scripture says that God gives breath. He gives life. And so when we think about revival, we think about God breathing life back into our walk with him. We get excited about spending time with him. We get excited about that relationship. And we know deep in our souls how important that is, how, how important it is to constantly be refreshed in him. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. But I think sometimes we get so hung up on this idea of revival, we forget about all the good growth and the goodness that happens in the spaces in between. There are absolutely breakthrough moments in our, in our life with God, right? There are moments of the Holy Spirit reviving us again, like we saw back in Nehemiah chapter 8 several weeks ago. And I think it's so important to hang on to those times as markers, to think about those times, to remind us of what, God, what life with God can look like. But we can't forget that so much growth happens in the spaces in between. And I think this chapter of Nehemiah is so useful and actually kind of encouraging because I think it demonstrates what a real relationship with God is like. It shows the constant cycle of loving God and falling away and coming back again. And I have so much respect for the author, including this chapter, right? Because it would have been a much more effective leadership book if he just left it off, just like not talked about the part where he came back and found out that everybody had forgotten about God again. But it's so much more realistic and honest to say that things can fall apart. And when they do, we fall back on the grace and the steadfast love of God to restore us again. Nehemiah is constantly calling on God's steadfast love. And please don't forget that today. God's love 
is steadfast, no matter where we are in our relationship with him. Nehemiah is constantly calling on God for remembrance. And so I thought that would be a useful way to frame um, what we're talking about in the chapter today and kind of talk about what the people in this story forgot. So the first thing they forgot is to take care of the Levites. Nehemiah 13.10 says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. So Levites were the priests. They were essential for the functioning of the temple. They did the sacrifices. They did the rituals that were associated with worship. And the thing is, the people were supposed to take care of them. They were supposed to provide for them. They were supposed to provide food so that the Levites could, could do this work. But they weren't providing anything. And so the Levites had to go home to essentially live, to essentially, like, get food again. And it tells you something about people going to the temple, right? Like, you would think that if they had been, like, going regularly, wouldn't they have noticed that, like, something was missing, maybe? I think we're so much more likely to see revival in our lives and refreshing if we create conditions to sustain it. The temple doesn't function without the Levites, and our faith doesn't function without the basic, sometimes boring-looking structures that we need to sustain it. It's hard to be refreshed if we're not creating space in our lives for that refreshment. The people in the story essentially did not have a place to worship without the Levites. And if there's no space in your life for God to work, it's going to be harder to hear from him. Not impossible. Believe that God will reach you any way he he needs to reach you. But it's a little bit harder to hear from him if we're not making space for that. So how did Nehemiah respond? He He got organized. He set up systems. Didn't leave things to chance. He put some people in charge. So Nehemiah 13, 12 says, All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. We need to take care of the spiritual structures in our lives. We need to do these little things that draw us closer to God. And speaking of taking care of the Levites, can I just take a moment to say thank you to the elders and the leaders at Missio Day? I was thinking about that a lot as I I read through this passage over and over again, this idea of, of, of caring for the priests. And I just, I'm so thankful for the people who have been showing up week after week to preach to a camera, which I'm discovering is a little strange. This pandemic has taken away so many things that we thought of as markers for church and for what church is. But our elders and our leaders continue to check in on us, ask us how our gospel communities are going. They are continuing to try to pull us towards God, and I just wanted to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you to the people who are doing the recording and firing up Zoom so we can keep talking to each other. None of those things happen. None of this happens without the basic little routine things. And we wouldn't have a church without the people who do these things. These little things push us towards God. These little steps we can take, they're still steps towards God. Reading scripture sometimes, praying sometimes, it makes a difference. I also have to give a special shout out to the folks teaching MD kids. I mean, week after week, they fire up Zoom and they do their remember verse. And my three-year-old just likes to roar like a dinosaur and never directly answer a question. But they're there every single week teaching my children about the gospel. And it can feel so futile 
like all of these little things that we do to try to bring God back into our lives, to try to remember God throughout our daily lives. But they add up, they make a difference. I follow this Instagram account called Risen Motherhood, and they had this to say recently. They said, even if you only shared the basic message of the gospel with your child one time every two weeks, by the age of five, they will have already heard the good news of Jesus about 130 times. 130. It doesn't feel like these little efforts really add up. Reading the Bible here or there, praying inconsistently before meals, pointing out the beauty of God in everyday moments. They may seem like small, feeble attempts at passing along our faith, but each effort matters. Each effort matters. These little things that we do to bring God into our day, to bring God into our week, whether it's a prayer time or a scripture reading or worship music, those efforts matter. Nehemiah came back and he found that the Levites had been neglected. And as a result, everything was in disarray. So he set up a system, put some people in charge. And then who knows how long it lasted again, but the basics are there, right? The structures are there. And I think that's a good reminder that if we're not seeing the fruit of our walk with God in our daily lives, we can take a step back. We can think about what's missing. So what else can I do? What can I put in place so that even if I falter, I am continuing towards God? Can I talk to a friend about God? I know one of the things that's been so hard about this pandemic for many of us has been that it's taken away so many rhythms and structures that we relied on to get through our day. I mean, we had, we had yeah, just rhythms and routines that we counted on. And at the beginning of this pandemic, we were like, okay, we're gonna bake bread and we're gonna like learn some new skills. And we weren't excited about it, but there was like a little bit of a sense of adventure in some ways, but now we're just tired. And I keep hearing the phrase pandemic tired and it's a thing, we are exhausted. Because all of the routines that we relied on, all of the things that kind of made us who we were have dissolved. So what rhythms can we bring in? What structures can we bring in to remind us of who we are? And I admit, so I always feel a little weird saying stuff like that because I know many of us grew up in church and for many of us, there's always been this pressure to do more, right? There's been this pressure to read the Bible more. There's this pressure to have a longer quiet time and it can start to feel very judgmental, very like, oh, you're not doing enough and that's why you don't feel close to God. And that's not what I'm saying at all. There are times when we will not feel close to God and it's not our fault and it's not because of anything we've been doing or not doing. So please hear that today, that this is not something I'm saying, you just need to do more. What I'm thinking about and what I'm asking you to do is to maybe make space for the movement of God in your life, however you can. Can you look back to moments of revival in your past, moments when the Lord spoke to you so clearly and think about that. Think about those markers. This is why we do Ebenezer Sunday at Missio Day because we want to remind ourselves of the work of God in our lives because it's a great way of reminding us of who God is and how he has spoken to us in the past. Is there a particular book that brought you back to God? Is there a song that reminds you of why you love him? Maybe try giving it a listen again. Anything you can do to make some space and to connect with God. Without the Levites, the temple didn't function. So we care for the spiritual structures in our lives in order to make room for God to speak to us. I read recently that humans like markers. We like external 
things that sort of signal a change. So for example, New Year's. There's a reason people make resolutions around New Year's and it's because we love having an external marker on the calendar to attach a change to, to say like, okay, this is the moment where I'm gonna start this thing. And this is a great time to think about um, adding some spiritual structures to your life because Lent just began. Lent is a time of contemplation, a time of thinking about Jesus' suffering. And there's a reason that the church, the global church, has a calendar, right? We have seasons. We have rhythms. We celebrate Advent and we think about anticipation. We celebrate Epiphany and we think about the gloriousness of Christ's coming. And we have Lent when we contemplate Christ's suffering. And these, ca- these calendars, these rhythms, they take us out of our daily lives. They take us out of the world that we're concerned about and they remind us of who we are and who we worship. So this is a marker. It's a good time to think about, is there something you can add to your life that maybe will bring you towards the Lord? Maybe a weekly prayer time. Um, Miss Day is also going to be doing some devotional guides for Lent that will be made available. Maybe think about doing one of those. And of course, the, the classic idea of Lent is to give something up. Is there something you can give up that you think will bring you closer to the Lord? And in a funny way, that brings me to my next point. So the second thing that the people in the story forgot was to observe the Sabbath. Nehemiah 13, 15 says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. They were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on the city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. So why was this such a big deal? Why did God care so much about whether or not they took a day off? Resting on the Sabbath was a marker. It was a public declaration of the people's trust in God's provision. So this was a farming society, right? Most of the economy is based on farming. And I don't know a ton about farming, but I know that the timing is is kind of tricky. So crops are ready when they're ready. They're not gonna wait around for a long time. The weather is definitely a factor. And so you have to do the work when, when the crops are ready, but taking a Sabbath is taking a day off. And so that could cost you, that could literally cost you money to say that I'm gonna take a day off from working and I'm going to rest. Taking a day off was a radical act of trust in God's provision. Is a way of saying, I know God will provide for me even though I'm not working, even though I'm not striving for his provision right now. All around them, the people who worshiped other gods would have been working and they would have been taking a day off and looking really strange. But they proclaimed by their rest that they trusted in God. What an amazing thought for us today. Can we proclaim by our rest that we trust in the Lord? It's supposed to be such an accurate picture of our faith, right? Like, and not just religious faith, every self-help program, every 30-day challenge, everything around us tells us try harder, try harder, try harder. But God calls us to rest, to give up. I want to go back a little bit because in my last point where I talked about forgetting the Levites, I talked about 
practicing the basic tenets of our faith and, and doing some more things, but I don't want you to hear that you just need to try harder. As Christians, it's not our effort that saves us or brings about revival. It's not our effort that refreshes us. It's God's love, which Nehemiah is constantly referencing over and over again. And in our life with God, I think we need to acknowledge these patterns of feeling closer and feeling further away and just rest and trust. Trust in the promise of God's great care for us. Barbara Brown Taylor says this about taking a Sabbath. Test the premise that you are worth more than you can produce. That even if you spent one whole day being good for nothing, you would still be precious in God's sight. And when you get anxious that this is not so, remember, your own conviction is not required. She goes on to say, this is a commandment. Your worth has already been established, even when you are not working. The purpose of the commandment is to woo you to the same truth. Resting in the promise of God's love and mercy makes us different. No other religion will tell you to stop trying. <laughs> for, for us, the radical truth of the gospel is that Jesus paid it all. And we take this radical gift of God's love and we allow it to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. And we don't set up these systems. We don't practice these basic tenets of our faith because we need to prove something. All of these systems, this idea of, of reading scripture and praying more, that's not for him. That's not to prove something to him. It's for us because it's a reminder of who we are and who we worship. We rest in the sure and certain knowledge of his great love for us. And then we are revived. And then we can begin to pursue him in whatever way we can. We look back on moments of revival in our own lives. And we remember how beautiful a life with God is. And pursuing God one day at a time, even when we don't feel like it, is a reminder that God is with us always. Not just in the exciting times, not just in the revivals, but every single day. So much growth happens in the in-between. I'm so curious how Nehemiah felt at this point in the book. I mean, was he sad? Was he unsurprised? Was he resigned? I love the last line of the book, Nehemiah 13, 31, where he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. One commentary said that God's remembrance implies intervention. It's almost like he's saying, God, do something. God, please remember what I've done, but also do something. Be at work here. And we could see this chapter as kind of a sad note to end on. It sounds a little sad to have Nehemiah do all this work and then come back and find out that so much of it has fallen apart. But something that's been super comforting to me this past year is this idea that we will have trouble in this life, which you're kind of like, yeah, no duh, I know that. But, like, but really, I mean, so often we think that our lives are going to work out a certain way. We sort of expect things to, to play out the way we've planned and then when something happens, it's, it's surprising. It's almost offensive. It's like, wait, where did that come from? John Walton on his commentary in, on Genesis notes that we often confuse ideal with normal. We have come to the conclusion that a normal life is one that glides along above the fray. And he says, then when something disrupts that calm stability, we begin to wonder why God has done this to us. We need to adjust our expectations and come to a new definition of normal. 
We cannot expect stability and security to define normal because we live in a broken world. Throughout the last year, the verse that I've been repeating to myself over and over is John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, says Jesus. And I love that. I love that moment of where he says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's like, he's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's never going to say like, wow, I've never seen that one before. He knows our trouble. He sees us. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome this broken place where you live. And he is with us in our trouble day by day. We are never, ever alone. Luke chapter 22 is the moment when um, Jesus warns Peter that Peter is going to betray him. They're in the upper room. They're talking. Jesus is talking about all kinds of things. And I love this moment. Um, I want to read you this, this passage. It's Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34. And just a reminder that Peter is also called Simon. It says, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And when, when Jesus prays for Peter, there's this moment where you realize he knows Peter is going to fail. Some translations where it says, um, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's this implication that like Jesus is saying, after you fail, which you will, turn again and strengthen others. And I love that. I love the idea that Jesus, Jesus knows Peter is going to fail and he's not, he's not thrown off by that. He knows that Peter will return. He knows Peter has faith still. He's not, he's not thrown off by our failures. He's not thrown off by the times that we fall away from him because he knows us and he knows he loves us. It might seem kind of silly to think about just praying once a week or reading a Bible verse here and there, but Nehemiah built his wall brick by brick. Each effort matters. There's this great quote from Maya Angelou where she says, I'm grateful to be a practicing Christian. I'm always amazed when people say, I'm a Christian. I think, already? It's an ongoing process. You know, you keep trying and blowing it and trying. And I love that. We fall away and we return. And God knows that. You might not be seeing the revival that you long for right now. And I want to acknowledge how, how hard and how sad that can feel. But God is still there with you. He wants to continue to draw you towards himself. So whatever steps you can take towards him today, take them and trust that he will meet you there. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your steadfast love that is never failing. Pray that we would learn to see you more and love you more every day this week. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.